Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yorika Talbo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or if you're just feeling confused about what to do next, you've come to the right place. Every week I sit down with creative entrepreneurs to discuss the who, what, and why of their journeys. If you like this episode, please remember to subscribe, like, and share it with a friend. Today, I'm sitting down with Jody Jill, puzzle maker and consultant for Jigsaw Puzzles. Jody, hello, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hello, thank you so much for having me. I am well, I'm out here in Los Angeles, enjoying the sun. <laughs> that's, that's wonderful. It is, uh, so I'm on the opposite coast and it's finally starting to warm up, but I'm still completely jealous of the fact that where you're at is like, it's just nice all the time. What, uh, how has that been during the pandemic? It's well, it, the weather has been consistent, which is nice. <laughs> right. It's the only thing out here that's been consistent. But you know, the, the thing is, is when, when you have been dealing with the pandemic and, and there is millions of people surrounding you, the one place that you could do is go outside in your backyard. If you mm -hmm. were in a closed, very small place, you go to the beach and um, you could walk the streets, uh, not in, in the middle of them, but on the sidewalks. Right. And, you know, with the dog, we, we were... We were doing our thing. It has to be done. You have to get out. You, you can't be stuck somewhere. So it was the fine balance of getting out by staying away. So it was an interesting time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So for my listeners who are, are less familiar with, with your career and what you do, how do you personally describe yourself and what you do? Well, personally, I tell people I am a professional puzzle maker, and I am a creative entrepreneur who works with puzzles, both written as well as jigsaw puzzles. Mm -hmm. And my creativity has been what I've done for 25, 26 years. I've done different projects, different educational programs, and all of that time, I've had the mainstay of my puzzle. My puzzle's name is Brain Baffler. It's a syndicated newspaper column in puzzles around the country. And for me, I've always been drawn to puzzles, but not just puzzles of, of words, but puzzles of things, puzzles of paper. So for me, I'm just, I'm a professional puzzle maker. I think of puzzles as doing it backwards, whereas you're trying to solve them, I'm trying to make it difficult for you to solve. Hmm. So that's, so I, I love that. And that's completely fascinating. I, so I wanna know what got you first interested in puzzles so that comes back to really 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 at a young age um, my family was not a typical family we lived in the midwest and uh, for most of my childhood i was locked up in a storage unit and i did not go to school like other people did i did not you know, engage with other kids my age we were locked up so as time changes us um, you become you know, quizzical as you get older. And the first time I was actually able to read, I was at a library and a librarian had pushed an audio book my direction that I listened to. And, and I recognized over time that symbols 
equaled sounds. And this is the very basic beginning of, of, of words and knowledge for me. And through the tutors I've had, as well as the, the learning that I've done independently, I've, I learned how to read in the, my teen years. I learned how to write after that. But the one thing that always made me just click was the idea that you have these puzzles and the, the symbols or the letters as we know them were moved around to make these sounds and these sounds are what came out of people's mouths. And this to me was absolutely fascinating. So from a very young age, I was thrilled to be working on a puzzle or to try to make a puzzle or to do any type of uh, you know, symbol thing. And so that, that would have to be where the beginning came because there was a lot of pain being abused. And these words, these symbols, these letters, they brought comfort to me. They brought uh, an amazing amount of, of hope. Yeah. So I wonder if you could then talk then a little bit about your, your journey. So you've, you know, you, you discovered your love of, of, of puzzles, but what was it like to go from, you know, discovery of what this is to the career journey that you've had? Because there's not even a, like in a traditional sense, if somebody contacted me and said, I want to be a professional puzzle maker, I wouldn't even know where to start from that. So could you please then talk a little bit about how you took this love of, of puzzles and then have turned that into a career? So the interesting thing is there are not a lot of puzzle makers around the world. Um, there are people who dabble in puzzles. There are people who um, sometimes do puzzles on the side, but there are very few creatives who do puzzles full time. And so obviously there's not a course. <laughs> I wish there was, there's not a course or anything. But the idea here on being a puzzle maker is having so much enthusiasm about what you're putting together, your content, that it bleeds over to other individuals and that they would want to buy it or play it or use it in their actual um, you know, digital world, paper world. So the, the steps that start is that you have an idea for perhaps a series, or you have an idea for a different type of puzzle. And from there you start pitching it. And that pitch of course includes the actual puzzle itself. It includes your enthusiasm and it includes getting rejected a number of times. And as you progress in life, and, and of course, as your series progresses, you will find that more and more people who like puzzles or like your idea of a puzzle gravitate towards you. And then you have like a little fan club and that gradually grows. So being a professional puzzle maker is, I guess, similar to if you were a professional writer and they, you just wrote content about, let's say, parenting and you, you start to have your little tribe or your little fan club or your, your, your people who support you. Mm -hmm. um, there, there is certain types of people who like certain types of puzzles. I love word puzzles. I have a friend who loves crossword puzzles. So you really do develop a niche within the niche. And that is um, interesting in itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I'm, so with that and what was it like, or I guess, how did you sell your first puzzle or, or how did that, like your first gig as a puzzle maker, what was that like and how did that happen? So my first gig was at a very small farm magazine. It was a paper throw that probably had 10,000 people. 
And I went into that place maybe nine times to try to convince them to do a puzzle because they had a crossword puzzle in there. And the puzzle I was pitching was a search word puzzle. And I thought it really fit. So I could not get this editor's attention to do this. And I tried and tried and I decided to, to be a stringer for this, for this publication, even though, uh, I was terrible at writing at the time. <laughs> so I went out and I took pictures. I did this stringer thing and I came back with the story and he's like, this is horrible. Let's just put in your puzzle. So <laughs> that was like the first time I got my puzzle sold and people loved it. People loved the puzzle. So at that moment, I was able to do one puzzle. And with that one puzzle, he asked for one the next week and the one the following week. And that's how I developed it. And then people talked and I had another little newspaper. So they were all very, very small newspapers, but they had little groups of senior citizens who loved word search puzzles. Mm. And that was the driving uh, consumer for my puzzles when I started. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious on that, like when you're creating a word search, how do you think about this? Like, how do you think about them and the actual creation of them and, and the words you choose and and the difficulty that's involved in that? Like, what is that process like? So for word searches, um, there are several ways that people make them. There is a computer way. There is the um, old fashioned way. You sit down with a piece of graph paper or you can make your own squares. And then of course, the other way is that you just develop word lists and then you try to, to put them together. For me, myself, I actually put them together by scratch. I use graph paper. Mm -hmm. So before you put them together, you have to decide on your topic. So let's say you're gonna do a day at the beach. At that point, you identify what subjects would be familiar with at the idea of a day at a beach. You'd have like a, a, a ball or a surfboard so you compose a list of all these words that you think would be comparable. And then at that point, you sit down to your graph paper and you put the words into the actual locations of where you want the words within a you know, 12 by 12 graph of letters or 15 by 15, whatever works for you. And then for my brain bafflers, the leftover letters actually e equal the answer to the, to the actual puzzle. So there are no leftover letters that are just like a Q or a Z. It actually would be day at the beach. That would be the answer to the puzzle. So once you have that done, you type it all up and you send it over to the proofreader and they check it to make sure it's accurate because you always have to have a second or third pair of eyes and you have your puzzle. Now the idea of making a puzzle, like, oh, it sounds time consuming. It takes me about nine minutes to make a puzzle from the time I have my word list to the time it goes to the proofreader. Because once I am done uh, putting it together, I quickly type it up and it's on its way to the next point. Oh, wow. Very interesting. Okay. So then let's then talk about the other puzzles you make. So when did you then transition to making, let's say, other puzzles other than the ones you could physically, let's say, write down, like like word searches? Uh, well, um, you're talking more like the educational puzzles? Yes. Yeah, so or the jigsaw puzzles? puzzles? All, all the above. I, I'm, I'm curious on how your, your love of puzzles and your work in puzzles expanded. So from the idea of the basic word search, I realized right away that there were a lot of people who enjoyed puzzles. And I decided that I wanted to share that love with people. I wanted to get more and more out there. So I 
had a little ad in this book. It's a publication called Free Stuff for Kids. And it was a slip of paper, two sides, with all these different puzzles in it that any child could write me a letter with a self-addressed stamped envelope. <laughs> and with that in mind, they could get this copy. Well, the first year this book went out when I got accepted, because I was super excited. It was very hard to get accepted. First year, I got about, I don't know, a couple dozen. I thought, this, this is terrible. <laughs> what did I just do? Um, the second year, because I was uh, asked to do it again, I decided, you know, if it's only going to be a few dozen, whatever, I'll do it again. I had thousands of requests from children wanting to have my puzzles. So that's kind of where it went from just one puzzle to different puzzles. And all these puzzles were like fill in the blank. They were uh, scrambled words. They were all different kinds of things that these kids could ask for. And this began very simple, but it became out of control very quickly. At one point, before I moved everything to online, we had the entire apartment. I had a, a one bedroom apartment, ceiling to floor, the entire living room was full of boxes of mail because these kids would send the self-addressed stamped envelopes. I was just working a very simple job to pay the bills and I did not have enough money to copy each page and send it to the kids. So I would have to do it in, in sections as I was, was working my job. But this was the really moment I was like, oh my goodness, this is something. And that is when I started my own national holiday, which is National Puzzle Day. It's every year on January 29th. And on this day, we celebrate every puzzle that people love. It doesn't matter what puzzle you love. It's just important to celebrate. And this last year, we had over 10 million people interact with us on social media. So this uh, simple idea with the book, we pulled it into, here's a national holiday. And hey, let's all talk about puzzles. Because puzzles help intellectually. They're relaxing. And the kids, the kids enjoy them as well as the adults. So that is kind of how I got pulled into the next level. And then at that point, I wanted to get more involved in jigsaw puzzles because I found that fascinating. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so let's let's go into then the jigsaw puzzles then because I know that you um, create jigsaw puzzles. So what's, So tell me that journey. So why particularly jigsaw puzzles? And then tell me more about what you're doing currently with jigsaw puzzles. So the, the fascination I had on word puzzles, I also found in jigsaw puzzles. Um, as a creative, I saw how jigsaw puzzles brought people together. I mean, I don't know if you know this or not, there are 10,000 groups that are called jigsaw puzzle groups. There are people anywhere from nine to 30 people who buy the same puzzle. Mm -hmm. They work them at home and then they compare using uh, Instagram or Twitter on the progress so that they help each other out. So there's these... It, to me, it was just absolutely fascinating. We have these groups. Yeah. But what I also found fascinating was the fact that on National Puzzle Day, the only people that were really promoting jigsaw puzzles were big companies. And that was because there was never access to small creative folks or entrepreneurs who had this opportunity where they could put their art on jigsaw puzzles. So this is where I started this course that I have called Jigsaw Profits. It's at jigsawprofits.com. And it's the idea of, hey, you have an image, you have an idea for a jigsaw. Why aren't you putting this on a puzzle 
making residual income and you know people are buying these there's a there's a crisis in the puzzle world because there's just not enough jigsaws out there that are unique and different you only can have so many scenic views so that's where this this kind of came from and i started working with different artists and photographers and saying hey have you thought about putting this on a jigsaw and they're like oh i don't know how to do that because there wasn't a lot of information so i went back to my writing background and really started putting together a course and going through piece by piece what is a jigsaw puzzle and how do you convert a idea of an image that you'd like or a design into an actual jigsaw puzzle and more importantly how much money can you make off of doing this? And I think a lot of people, they work their arts very hard. They, they put in their time and they don't realize that if you had a jigsaw puzzle instead of maybe a mug, you'd make so much more money because jigsaw puzzles have that much of a following. Yeah. So this is, I, this is absolutely fascinating. I, I didn't, I don't know that I would ever under or, or hear the term jigsaw puzzle, um, you know, problem happening right now that there's not enough jigsaw puzzles out there but i find that to be absolutely fascinating that there's a that that market has exploded so much that there's actually needs to be more jigsaw puzzles on there so how i know your program digs into this very topic but how do you suggest uh artists potentially ones listening to this this show go about even you know starting from this so other than buying your program like how do you select a piece of work for a jigsaw puzzle what where do you even i mean yeah other than buying your work where do you even start that's a good question you don't have to you don't have to buy the course if you don't want to (laughs) i agree with that um i think the the premise of the course is this awakening of the idea hey we need to do more with our art after we get it done. No, no, it doesn't matter if you're a photographer or an artist or you're a writer or a sculptor, you need to do something more because you need to profit, uh, make more profits on the piece that you put together and you need to push it out further. So that's why I, I actually have the course. So if you're thinking about doing a puzzle, there are some things you need to think about to actually decide how profitable it'll be from you. And let me give an example. If you're going to do a, a puzzle and you do 100 units of a puzzle, you're going to pay about $6 a puzzle. Okay. That would be the shipping and everything, getting it to your house. You're going to sell those puzzles for anywhere from $29.95 to $75, depending on whether or not you want to autograph them or how you sell them. So there's a huge profit margin here. Wow. So if you're thinking about your what to put on this puzzle, the first thing you have to stop and look at is, what is my market? Who are the people out there that would be like my potential buyer? And what's interesting is that your potential buyer for a puzzle is different than if it was just your design or your art. And the reason it's different is because it really does capture a lot of different audiences. So the the piece that you decide to put on the actual puzzle, the design needs to have um, some things to it. It needs to have some color. It needs to have a purpose and that could be just to promote yourself, but it needs to have a purpose and it needs to reflect you. And from there, you have to figure out the logistics of it, which is how many pieces will this puzzle be? And how exclusive is this puzzle going to be? If you only have a run of 200, you can charge more money than if you have a run of 1,000. Mm-hmm. And how are you getting this puzzle to your consumer? Now, traditionally, when we think about jigsaw puzzles, we think, oh, yeah, we get them in a box, we play it, we put it back in the shelf when we're done. 
And keep in mind that once it goes back to that shelf after it's been completed, there's only about a 5% chance it'll ever be put together again. Yeah. So a lot of creatives now, they don't use a box. They go for a more user-friendly bag with a sheet on the inside that has the design. So these are the type of questions that you start asking yourself. And what you'll find is that your audience is actually looking right at you. And it could be very local. And they will support you by buying a $50 puzzle, whereas they may not be willing to buy a piece of art that's like four or $5,000. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So describe to me more. So a $50 puzzle, what, what, what does that look like? I know, I know it, it depends on, let's say, what the buyer is. But in, in your instances or in your experience, what does a $50 puzzle look like? Um, so a gentleman I'm recently working with, his, he's charging forty nine ninety nine, mm-hmm. yeah, for a puzzle, a jigsaw puzzle. It's five hundred pieces. It's in a bag. It um, it's it's very exclusive. He sells it at the galleries and the local souvenir shops in his town. Yeah. And for him, he has numbered them as well as he has autographed them. So he came up with the decision that he wanted to do a drip series. So he's going to do one right after another within you know two to three months. And he has let all the people on his mailing list know. He's let people in his community know. And then he's done one step further. Um, when I was working with him, I, I, I said to him, you know, you really need to consider jigsaw puzzles are great gifts. And the best way to get gifts into gift baskets is to go to the gift basket designer people. And every community has them. They're the folks that put together gift baskets for realtors and doctors and all the professionals. So he went to them and they bought the majority of his lot. So he was able to do that. And because it's exclusive and because he took the time to autograph them, again, he's making $49.99 for them. Yeah. Wonderful. What does, so can you tell me a little bit more about then how you've noticed this market change during the pandemic and and where do you see the future of it potentially going well during the pandemic what what was acknowledged was the fact that no longer was it a corner market for big box game companies Mm -hmm. that it was an opportunity for entrepreneurs and also during the pandemic there was uh, obviously a lot of civil unrest and there was a lot of social justice jigsaw puzzles that came out And if you look this up online, you're going to see there is some amazing social justice puzzles that are 1,000 pieces, 2,000 pieces that have just flown off the shelf. And this is is, it's just fascinating. So during the pandemic, more and more people were were playing puzzles. But again, you know, there's only so many scenic puzzles you can have. And also, you're buying the same type of puzzle over and over again. Why not buy a puzzle from the artist down the street? Why not buy a puzzle from, you know, a, a, a souvenir shop that absolutely works with a, a national monument? So you see more and more people getting involved. In the future, what I see happening is that it goes from being that really big box to being very exclusive. I know of several artists right now who make their primary profit on just putting together jigsaw puzzles. And they're doing that because they realize that they can make big pieces and they can sell that piece once, but they can make jigsaw puzzles and sell it 5,000 times. Mm -hmm. So more and more creatives and entrepreneurs have really gotten involved in the idea of, hey, how do we monetize our business while still being creative and 
So yeah, do they still want to monetize their business while still being creative and true to their art? Yes, wonderful. So I'm I'm curious then in in your own work because again you've well so you've you've gone through a lot in your life, both personally and career wise. When you think about the idea of fear, how do you approach the idea of fear, and and how do you work? Um, past that or or with fear? Well, fear is always uh, either your worst enemy or your best friend, depending on where you're at in life. (laughs) Um, I have a lot of it. I've always been uh, part of the the fear is standing there looking at me. And moving to Los Angeles by myself years ago, I was very afraid and very excited. It was probably the best move I've ever made. It allowed me to be creative. It allowed me to grow. But when you're looking at fear, you have to decide two things. First of all, is it real? Or is it just, you know, you, your inside's getting a little little crazy. Um, for me, I think about it. I tell it to move it aside. I actually do. I'm like, yep, fear's out of here. And I go do it. And I don't think about it again. Otherwise, it gets too into your soul and it stops you cold. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So with, with everything that you have done and experienced throughout your life, what would you say has been the best advice that you have ever received? No, this is, this is a really good question. And when I was thinking about this, I have had a lot of advice. Um, and some of the advice was awful. <laughs> and it was awful because you, you walk your own journey. So People can tell you things and you're like, yeah, all right. But what does that, what does that have to do with me? So I have to say that my best advice that was ever given to me was given to me uh, quite a few years ago. And it was when I had started to learn to read. I had two different coaches helping me learn to read it. And then for, there was a time there that I had just a regular job. And then I decided I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to use my skill to be part of what saves me. And so I was paired up with this writing coach who at the beginning, I was just like, yeah, he's cool, but I don't know how we're, we're going to work together. This didn't make a lot of sense to me. And he gave me probably the best advice that I have ever had, which is failure is never failure unless you learn nothing in the process. Hmm. And I really think that that is applyable then is applyable now. I mean, there are things that I have failed at and I'm like, I cannot believe that happened. And I look back and think, Oh, but I learned all these things. So technically it wasn't a failure. It was just a quote unquote, and there's air quotes, miscommunication. Mm-hmm. And to me, it really does uh, help with the idea that, you know, you, sometimes you, you land on your chin and you got to pick, pick your bucket back up. You got to push on. Right, right, right. Wonderful. Well, Jody, this has been an absolute pleasure to to chat with you and hear about your journey and what you're up to. Thank you so much for joining me today. If the listeners would like to buy your course or buy your puzzles or just see more about what you are working on, where are the best places they can go to do that? So if you're interested in a freebie, we've got uh, how to make money creating jigsaw puzzles over at jigsawprofits.com gives you a little overview on what a jigsaw puzzle is, what what the a jigsaw puzzle piece is. 
If you're looking to check out my different puzzles online, you can go to puzzles2play.com. Um, both of those connect with each other. And as I always tell people, I appreciate you looking. It is wonderful to share my art and my inspiration with other folks. And I hope you dream on. Wonderful. Well, thank you again, Jody. I will put those links in the show notes so they can click right through. But uh, again, it's been an absolute pleasure this afternoon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Black Bones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.